Hello, everyone. I am so excited that we have launched our home group worships. I'm excited because this reminds me of the first Christians when they gathered in homes, shared meals, invited their friends, and then became this movement that changed the world. You know, in the past few years, we've had a lot of changes ourselves, haven't we? Not only with the pandemic that came and then went and then came and it's lingering, um, but you know, also the changes that it has brought to our lives. Zoom meetings and some level of working from home are here to stay. Um, inflation is rising. Um, people are spending more time and money in their local suburbs. And while it's been a challenging few years, there have also been really helpful paradigm shifts. Many people have chosen to reprioritize what's truly important. People over productivity, health over wealth communities over self-interest, and kindness instead of prejudice. There have been paradigm shifts about church too, that it's not a place or an event, that we don't go to church. We are the church. Whether we're together in home groups or online or, you know, in a building, our connectedness is what makes us the church. Redefining church as the gathering and, and the community of those who seek to know Jesus better changes how we understand the purpose of the church, that it's not to put on a program once a week that a handful of people engage with and the rest all kind of just watch. The purpose of the church is to be the body of Christ day in and day out, to be his hands and his feet, to be his messengers, not just retelling, but living out his example of enduring love and commitment towards humanity. Then when we come together once a week to share our testimonies and pray for each other and worship and fellowship, we, we are doing all that um, as a result of our being church during the week. You know, being the body of Christ means we work and serve together to bless our communities with each person being an integral part of that body. Each of us with our own stories, our personalities and experiences, we have our own contributions to make. And each of us, each of those contributions help shape the picture of Jesus for others to see so that they too want to know Jesus and can experience the wholeness of life here and now, as well as eternal life to come. So what does this look like? One day a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to get eternal life. And when speaking to farmers, Jesus talked about farming. And when he spoke with fishermen, he talked about fishing. So it's no surprise that when talking to a lawyer, Jesus asks in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, the definition of a good man in that time, as well as probably today, was someone who obeyed the laws, honored their parents, or prayed, participated in their local faith community, and didn't mistreat anybody. And the lawyer wanted to justify himself, that he's been ticking the boxes and that he's been a good person. And he was probably someone who was kinder and more generous than the average good man. He probably went above and beyond to help those outside his immediate circle of influence. And so he probably expected Jesus to say, 
Your neighbors are the poor, the disabled, the widows, the orphans, those in the community who are overlooked. And the lawyer would have gladly said, well, I donate regularly to the vulnerable in society. I I regularly help other people. But imagine his shock when Jesus goes on to tell him a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a treacherous and dangerous path known for criminal activity. And this man was um, besieged by robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite, by the way, was someone who was dedicated to the service of God. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What a challenging yet significant command of Jesus. He was such a great storyteller and was able to tell a story that just really revealed the heart of God, as well as challenged the listeners um, to break their definition and boundaries that they had, they didn't even realize sometimes that they had. You know, to be a neighbor to someone means not doing good when it's convenient for us, when we have the time, when it's someone we like, when it doesn't cost us too much. But being a neighbor to someone is treating them the way that we would like to be treated. The priest and the Levite, both religious religious men, they saw the need, but they passed by too preoccupied with their own pursuits and schedules. They were on their way to do church. But the Samaritan, who was actually despised by the Jews because of their fraught history, stopped his journey, risked his own safety to bind up the wounded man. Then he set him on his own animal, which means he had to go very slowly, right? And it means he has to now walk. And he brings him to an inn where he personally took care of him. And finally, when he has to leave, he leaves money to the innkeeper, right? Giving up a portion of his budget for this journey that was um, already planned. And he might not have had a lot of extra to spare, but he leaves the money with with the innkeeper and says, I'm going to come back and follow up. And if he uh, ends up staying longer and their expenses, um, I will come back and settle the debt. All for a stranger. Who would you want as your neighbor? the Samaritan or the Levite? Who do you want in your church, the Samaritan or the priest? Jesus invites us to be the church that we would like to see, to redefine who we see as our neighbor, to step out of our comfort zones to meet the needs of those outside our current tribe to love strangers and outsiders as ourselves, to share the heart of Jesus with those who have never met him before. And this isn't just an impossible ideal. It's a reality that all followers of Jesus are called to live out one interaction at a time. Some of you know that one of my heroes is Mr. Fred Rogers. 
Fred Rogers was an American television show host, famous for creating and hosting the children's program called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which ran from 1968 to 2001, airing 912 episodes. Now, Mr. Rogers had a passion for providing a program for children that wasn't just about entertainment, but was about helping them deal with real-life issues such as death, divorce, war, siblings, feelings of anger and sadness. And, you know, this is the 1960s. This was revolutionary. This was not something that was done. And nobody would could have been able to predict its impact. The show was low budget, right? Just Just a few hundred dollars. Its host was a man in a jumper who talked in a very slow and calm cadence, not charismatic, not exciting, right? Not not jumping around doing stunts. No bells and whistles, no bands, just Mr. Rogers, a few puppets, him playing the piano. Lots of silent moments, which actually were intentional. Feels really awkward for us when we watch it today because we're used to airtime constantly being filled and, and things constantly moving. But Mr. Rogers wanted to give his audience, the children, time to process what he was saying. He often looked at the camera and and made eye contact and made you feel like he was listening just to you and talking just to you. For example, he sang at the beginning of every episode, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please won't you be my neighbor? And every child watching believed that he really wanted to be your friend. In one episode in 1983, he had a 10-year-old boy named Jeff who came as a guest on his show. And Jeff had spinal tumors, so he was in a wheelchair. And Mr. Rogers and Jeff chatted about why he was in the wheelchair and how Jeff felt sometimes. And then they sang a song together, completely unscripted. And the song... Uh, an excerpt from the song says, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way that you are right now, the way deep, down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your toys. They're just beside you, but it's you I like. And as they sing that song together, you can tell that they had become friends. It was in those simple moments that Mr. Rogers painted a picture of the kind of community that was possible if we chose kindness and empathy. When Mr. Rogers' neighborhood started in 1968, the country was just four months removed from the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a civil rights leader in America. And Fred Rogers introduced in his neighborhood the character of Officer Clemens, a black police officer who was kind and responsible and was Mr. Rogers' equal and colleague and neighbor. This character was one of the first African-American characters featured in a children's program. Around the one-year anniversary of Dr. King's death, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens to join him in soaking his tired feet in a plastic wading pool. And Officer Clemens says in the scene, oh, that sounds nice, but I don't have a towel. And then Mr. Rogers says, without missing a beat, you can share mine. And so then Officer Clemens takes off his boots and his socks and he puts his feet into the little wading pool 
And so then there they are, brown feet and white feet, side by side in the water. And then silently, contemplatively, no comments, the music kind of in the background, a little bit of silence. They have their feet there. And it was a small moment, but it was a huge revelation to the children and the families watching around the U.S., right, in, in 1968, that Mr. Rogers defined as his neighbor this African-American man. And this was during a time when public swimming pools were still segregated. And there were awful instances of discrimination and violence against African-Americans who um, tried to come in to integrate into the swimming pools. And so that short scene of Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens sharing this waiting pool, it was a significant statement. 24 years later in 1993, when Mr. Clemens was shooting their last episode together, they reenacted the scene of, you know, when they shared that waiting pool the first time. And when they reenacted the scene, um, and then uh, Francois Clemens, who that's his actual real name. Um, he's not actually a police officer, he's an actor, musician, etc. Um, but he later reflected, uh, he ended up writing his own memoir, but he later reflected on this moment. Um, and here's a little video clip. Francois Clemens. Hi, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? Fine. How are you today? Fine. My feet were tired, so I thought I'd just soak them for a while in this water. Does it make him feel better? It does. Would you like to try? Sure. On the show, he would say, I love you just the way you are. One day I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he looked at me and he said, yes. I've been talking to you for two years, and you finally heard me today. And I just collapsed into his arms. I, was, I started crying. I, that's when I knew that I loved him. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about No man had ever told me that he loved me like that. I needed to hear it all my life. My dad never told me. My stepfather never told me. So, from then on, he became my surrogate father. I'm so proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. Thank Can I help you, you here? Thanks. Mr. Rogers said, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they are loved and capable of loving. If all of this sounds strangely familiar, that's because it is. In John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And then in verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Mr. Rogers was motivated by the mandate of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus loved even Judas, who he knew would betray him. Jesus 
still washed his feet. It was no accident that Mr. Rogers in the 1993 scene takes the towel and dries Mr. Clements' feet himself. You see, Fred Rogers was trained and ordained actually as a minister, and he never let his ordination lapse. He renewed it throughout his life because he did have a church. His church were all the children of America, young and old. His pulpit were his puppets, and his ministry was through television. He once said that the space between the screen and the viewer was holy ground, that each episode was an offering. He took this opportunity very seriously, and he devoted hours of thought and hard work for each minute of filming, because for him it wasn't a career, it wasn't, um, you know, um, the thing that he wanted to accomplish for the sake of accomplishing it. For him, it was his ministry. And he wasn't creating a make-believe world. He was creating a real community. So many children who watched his show grew up to say that he was the first kind adult, sometimes the only kind adult in their childhood. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood gave them a sanctuary and a moral compass and hope that there were other adults in the world who cared about them. And it wasn't just a false reality just for the cameras. People who interviewed him and wrote about him and met him, they all hoped to find the real Mr. Rogers, right? And then after spending time with him, left convinced that he was even kinder in real life than in the show. For example, while um, transporting Mr. Rogers to um, an executive's dinner, you know, the producer's network producer's dinner, um, the driver is driving Mr. Rogers and when they get to the destination and, and Mr. Rogers finds out that drivers was going to just wait outside while everybody ate inside, Mr. Rogers invited the driver to join them for dinner. And then on the way home, as the driver was passing his house and said, oh, that's my house over there. Mr. Rogers asked, can I meet your family? And Mr. Rogers went inside, met his family, and the driver said it was the best night of his life. Mr. Rogers played the piano for his family and chatted with them until the until late into the night before finally going home. He personally wrote back to every fan mail that he got. Later on, um, as he got over 100 a day, he had assistants who, who helped write, but he always read, edited, and personally signed each one. If someone said hello to him or recognized him in public, Mr. Rogers didn't just take a picture with them and then move on. He would sit down with them, ask them about their story, their lives. His wife of 50 years and their two sons confirmed, yep, who you saw on screen was who he got at home. How in the world did he do this? Well, every morning, Mr. Rogers got up at 5 a.m. to read his Bible. And as he studied the Bible passage, he would visualize who he would be seeing that day so that he could be prepared to be as caring and giving as he could be. Then he would pray, not for success or accomplishment, but for goodness of heart. He prayed that he could be kind. And he prayed that as he wrote and filmed and prepared the episode for the day, he prayed that some word that is heard be thine. Mr. Rogers never mentioned God on his show, but everything he did was inspired and empowered by his devotion to God. What about us? Who is our church? When people ask me, how's your church going? I'm not always sure what they're looking for. 
Are they asking me about Saturday service attendance? Are they asking me about how our church is engaged in mission? When I think about our church, I picture all of your faces. And I think about how you're all going. Your lives, your struggles, your joys. And it's not just the 34 names on our official conference membership role or the 122 names on our church contact list. It's also those who are not even here in Melbourne, but who watch and listen to our sermons from around the world. I, Those of you who have revealed yourselves to me, I have your names, right? Some of you, I know your faces, and you are all a part of our church. As for our mission field, my mission field is also here in Coburg the people in my local community, the parents of my children's friends, the children that I interact with every Monday morning when I volunteer in Joshi's class, my local pharmacist, the owner of the local milk bar where I buy the boys' toys, Joshi's piano teacher, the director of the after-school program. These are all people that I see regularly and who know my name when I know their name and they're on my prayer list. I'm learning their stories. I'm learning their needs, and I'm trying to build a community with them. And they, most of the time, minister to me just as much as I try to minister to them. What about you? Who comes to your mind when you think of church? How can you expand your definition of church? Who are you intentionally praying for? How can you use your giftedness to meet the needs of those in your community? Who can you be present with this week? One of my other heroes, a woman named Ellen White, who also broke barriers and showed incredible kindness to everyone. She wrote, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with people as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he invited them, follow me. We need to come close to the people by personal effort. If we would give less time to sermonizing and more time to personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick are cared for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, the power of the love of God, this work will not, cannot be without fruit. Mission is not bringing people to church. Mission is being the church to people in our communities, being the body of Christ, representing his love and example through personal relationships. Jesus asks us, as he asked the lawyer, to go and be a neighbor, to show compassion, to be present, to desire the good of those around us to be the salt and light of the world, as we talked about last week when we talked about Christ and culture. It's time to redefine church and mission. In your home groups, in your homes, wherever you are right now, brainstorm, pray, think about how can you use your giftedness, your experience, your time, your where you are in your life stage to be a neighbor to people around you. What kind of church would you establish in your neighborhood? What kind of community do you hope to create? And how can we empower and support each other to make that happen? 
I really hope and pray that you can have an open and honest dialogue and prayer about this. And not just today, but in the days and weeks to come. On Sunday, the 20th of November, we're going to have a church business meeting and all, all are invited to join us in person or on Zoom. The link will be sent out to discuss and pray and vote on the future direction of our church. And that's why we're talking about this today. And that's why for months we've been talking about mission. We're trying to understand what it means to be the church and to be his body and to represent Jesus to the world. I pray that God would inspire us to be authentic, creative, and committed church of God, right? To be the body of Christ here in Melbourne. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we really need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the purpose you have for us as individuals and as a community, to realize that church is so much more than what we have thought it to be, that mission is is so much more personal um, and sometimes ordinary than what we think it should be. It's in the small interactions we have with people every day. It's it's the small decisions and moments and, and um, choices we make to spend time with people, to listen, to forgive. And so, Father God, we ask that as we as we brainstorm and and discuss and pray and talk about how we can do church the way that you meant it to be, how we can do mission the way that you meant it to be, that we would be able to have courage and wisdom to move forward in faith and that, Father God, our church would truly be light and salt here in Melbourne, that we can be a blessing to those around us. I pray in your son's name. Amen.